Thank you for listening to Bishop Chronicles. Bishop Chronicles is a podcast on stoic resilience and the art of not quitting. Now, here is your host, Adisa the Bishop. Peace. It's time to highlight a scholar, Adisa Van Joko, Bishop Chronicles. Today's podcast deals with fear. You know, I'm, what day is it? I'm recording this podcast on March 7th. And I don't know what's happened with the war with Russia and Ukraine, but I doubt it's gotten better. A lot of people are worried about nuclear war or just horrified about what they're seeing already. I've seen some horrible images. I try not to watch too much because I think it's it's hard on my heart, just to be fair. Um, but, you know, that fear mixed with the fear around this pandemic that, you know, we're still in. And I know a lot of people have been posting stuff online like, oh, now it's a war. What happened to Corona and this and that? But I can tell you, I've seen people that I know posting the obituaries of their friends who have died from COVID still. So the world in America is not over this. And then let's just think about how crazy the gas prices are in Cali and the country. Let's think about how around the world, everything's getting more expensive, you know, and it's harder no matter what you do, no matter what your profession is, no matter what your profession has been, it's harder. The only people I know that are doing really well right now are doctors, lawyers, Silicon Valley, like people that are that are deep in the culture, right? Um, and people who are like trust fund kids. That's it. Everybody else doesn't know what's going on. And even the lifestyles of all those people that I just mentioned can be hanging in the balance based off of, you know, just the unpredictable nature of the times. So fear is a big deal. You know, it's hard to have a conversation like this and not just think about all the different times in my own life that maybe I thought I was going to die. You know, especially for my gun violence. I have a gun. I've had guns put in my face. First time by a police officer. Second time by the crazy guy at Jack in the Box. Third time by a friend who was not a friend. Right. In my 20s, like, I think that all happened, like, in the span of a year. I had, like, three or four guns put in my face. Um, And... That stuff will drive you crazy. I didn't have therapy. You know, it made me very reckless. It made me very kind of, I was already a little loose up top. It was not a good idea for me to have had to endure that stuff without any real therapy or anything. But I did. And it did make me kind of wild and kind of unpredictable, I guess. Um, But I was never like a violent person. I just was kind of 
I was down for it. I guess I'll just say that. And, you know, for a while I had a gun, but my father found it and he took it from me. <laughs> he took it from me. I actually, he took it apart. I recently found, uh, it was a revolver. He took the little centerpiece thingy out. I don't know what that's called. The revolving part of the revolver. And, uh, he saved my life by doing that. I was definitely going to go out and, and, and catch a case. And y'all would probably not know me. Or you'd know me as that guy who just got out from shooting somebody in 93. Um, 92. But what I'm saying is fear is everywhere and I totally understand it. Lately, you know, I talk about fitness and stuff a lot. I've been completely falling off my diet. Completely consumed by eating lots of sugar. Did you know? that well i'm a i'm a gummy bear fanatic you know what i'm saying if you got the hook up on halal gummy bears i'm your guy um i'm a gummy bear fanatic i normally have like my cheat day be friday yo i've been having gummy bears every day of the week last 10 days until like two days ago i mean it's crazy and uh Gummy bears, red vines, and then someone at Twizzlers had the audacity. You know those pull-apart ones, those cherry ones that are off the chain? They have watermelon now. What ungodly human came up with that idea? Oh, it's so good. So I've been struggling. Um, and a lot of it is just about fear of the unknown. I have a lot of amazing things that are happening in my life overall. But I have like... Three or four really big unsettled things and I've been struggling with the idea of what is the line between patience and procrastination? What is the line between letting life be and then taking the reins and making life be? I don't know. So I've had to really double down on fasting, on meditation, on running. I, I took a jog up Mount Aurelius the other day, if you saw my my IG page, you know? And it's helped a lot. Um, I had even, you know, drifted away from, I don't want to say that I drifted from Stoic journaling, but I'll say that I wasn't being as deliberately in-depth as I needed to be, you know? Uh, I wasn't being patient with myself and allowing myself to feel and process everything that I'm m meant to feel and process as a person who is unclear. And that lack of clarity just makes the fear even more pronounced. So, you know, it's taken a lot of serious work to, you know, lessen the anxiety to take the edge off, you know, what feels like flickers of depression, right? You got to catch that stuff early, right? Or the darkness can consume you and you can let illusions calcify into realities for you, but they, they don't have to be realities and they may not be real at all. So, that's what this one is about. That's what this one is about. I was on Instagram the other day 
and I saw a really cool post. I hope I'm saying the uh, the name of the page right. One of my friends in the UK, Sarah Brown Nutritionist. I think it's Sarah Brown Nutritionist. I reposted it on my page on IG. And uh, you'll see, this was like after I had ran. So I, I, I jog up the hill. I run Mount Aurelius. And uh, Mount Aurelius is 1.7 miles. It's all uphill. It was a very windy day. It was a day that I didn't want to go. Making yourself do things that you don't want to do is an important part of being a stoic and it is an important part of being a human being so it was windy didn't want to go the sun was out it was cold and blowy and um i knew i had to run that day so i start out and uh i get to this one straightaway part it's really hard on your brain because it looks like a very short, straight path, but the incline is very slight, but very steady. And so it always looks like you're farther along than you are. And it can drive you nuts. And that part of the run, it'll break you. Because it's, it's like a little bit more than midway into the run. And so, you know, if you don't have it in you, that's when you'll know. And the Beta Breakers, they have this hill. It's called Heartbreak Hill. Because that's where everybody who thinks they're about to finish the beta breakers falls apart at. Yeah. Yeah. It's very similar. Very similar to Heartbreak Hill. I ran that section backwards. I didn't run my best time. But I ran that section backwards. Because I followed the knees over toes guy. Uh, and I'm trying to make my knees stronger and my legs stronger. But it was hard. Very hard. Then I thought I was going to quit several times. But I made it. I got to the top. I was very happy. I was very proud of myself. The view was amazing, you know, and you have to do these things to kind of wake your body up. I've been seeing a lot of things about um, dopamine resets, serotonin resets. Look these things up. Google them. Right. And I talked about before how when I couldn't sleep and anxiety was overtaking me in the earlier parts of my uh, separation and divorce that uh, if I would think about my ex-wife and my kids too much I would just start doing push-ups and crunches and squats push-ups and crunches and squats until I could fall asleep from just exhaustion and it worked really well right but there's all kinds of different ways that you can do a dopamine reset there's tons of different ways that you can do a serotonin reset and things like that you should look into these things because they're super super helpful um, but I was on Sarah's page and she posted something cool that I reposted and it said, each time you eat, you shape your future health. So cool. Each time you eat, you shape your future health. And I kind of went down this whole wormhole reflecting on, right, the, the fear of illness. How many of us are scared of being sick right now? They're already saying, like, because of corona, tons of people who are sick don't even go to the hospital. And they're dying of other stuff at home, especially when the pandemic was at its height. I remember, and you remember on this show, I said, 
If you want to stay alive, stay out of the hospital. Don't do anything reckless. Don't get sent in because you were being stupid and you had to try to skateboard and you bust your wrist. Don't try to slam the, the ball and you know you haven't done a dunk in hella years, but you're trying to show out for your kids. Bah! Now you up in there. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you're going to uh, you're gonna get on the trampoline. That's what we doing at 45? Trampoline action? Bah! All right, there's the boot for your foot, and you're in for a few days. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, staying healthy and the fear of having to go to the hospital for anything other than corona and then getting corona, everybody's afraid of that. But I thought about it some more, and I said, you know, if that's true, right, that's cool. If that's true, that's cool. And I believe it's true, right? I'm thinking about all the good meals that I eat, right? And it's kind of like playing chess, right? Every move that you make on the chessboard impacts the future of the game. Every hamburger you eat impacts your future health. Every milkshake, every gummy bear, every watermelon and cherry Twizzler. You just pull those things apart there. It's so beautiful. But in excess, they will take you out, especially if there's diabetes in your family, right? And so I realized that the cure for worrying about my future health was being present with what I eat today, right? And that would make a healthier me. If you're worried about being unfit in the future, work out today. And start working out no less than three days a week. Nothing crazy, right? I've already told you. It's a very simple way to get an hour of health in every day. 15 minutes of meditation. 15 minutes of cardio. 15 minutes of uh, strength training, right? And 15 minutes of yoga. That's an hour. You can break that up through the course of your day. There's no reason all of us can't do that. There's no reason America can't do that. And there's no reason that all of the mainstream media outlets that we all tend to love shouldn't have been saying this kind of thing since the beginning of the pandemic. I see people arguing about masks and I see them arguing about um, shots and vaccines. And you already know I'm vaxxed. I did a whole thing on would Marcus Aurelius get the vaccine and all that. But what I'm saying is whether you got the vax or not, you need to be taking care of your health. Working out today will do that for you. Right? If you're worried about being broke in the future, you can start reading books today on how to save money. Watching YouTube clips from gifted rich people today. To have a financial fitness in the future that you have yet to experience. I'm talking about me. I'm talking to myself. If you don't want to be tricked in the future, if you don't want to be taken for a fool in the future, you can start reading today. Getting on Audible today to develop and build a smarter you. If you're consumed by the fear of death, you can pray, meditate, and study philosophy today to manifest a spiritually grounded 
and more peaceful you tomorrow and in the years to come. By taking hold of now, you have an opportunity to control the future. But if you let this day slip and the next day slip and you keep making excuses, then guess what? Time runs out. Every heartbeat is one less. Every breath is one less. Life is so sacred. Life is so sacred. Not just mine. Not just yours. All life is sacred. I tried to make that into a hashtag. Nobody cared. It's true, though. All life is sacred. By not being present, by ignoring today's workout, by taking on that shake, by eating those gummy bears, by not stretching, by not meditating, by not praying, by not studying, what you've done is you've invested in the nightmare you've been afraid to face. Don't invest in your nightmare because it doesn't have to be. You know, I talked about in previous episodes about, you know, the premeditating of adversity. It's a stoic practice. And you think about what if bad things happen? Now, footnote, if you have been under high trauma, high violence, you know, child abuse, sexual abuse, this may not be for you. And um, if you do it, regardless, you may need to do it with a therapist, okay? But in CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, I believe this is part of what they do, right? They call it stress inoculation, right? Where you visualize what it would be like to be homeless. You visualize what it would be like to actually have to walk around for a day without shoes. You think about not eating, not having access to clean water, or very little of it, right? You think about what it would be like to live without some of your favorite people, your parents, your children, your really good friends, your, 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 your best partners from high school, your favorite coworkers. Right? You have to take this on because in real life, we all know we have to return to the earth that we came from. And that's when forever actually begins. You know, Ramadan is coming up the Muslim month of fasting. Footnote, there's a really cool video by a guy named Dr. Berg about the low cancer rates in the Middle East and how they think that that's tied to fasting. You know, I hate to have to say, this is not a pro-Islamic uh, video. It's a medical video. I don't even think he says the word Islam in the whole thing. But on YouTube, you can see it. Shout out to Marie 
who sent that to me. It's really cool. I'll post it in the Facebook group. But things like fasting create stress inoculation, right? Because you're eating before the sun rises and you're not eating or drinking anything at all, just going through your day until the sun sets. That's what you do during Ramadan. And they say that this is one of the ways that cancers are stunted magnificently. Okay? It's a big deal. A very big deal. And, you know, look into the idea of stress inoculation. Of premeditating adversity. And understanding that whatever you're enduring, others have had to endure. So you can do it too. It may not be fun. Doesn't mean it won't be painful. That doesn't mean it won't be sad. But we're anti-fragile. We grow through the stress when we focus on growing through the stress so it doesn't break you. And the final thing that I'll talk about really quick is another Stoic concept made popular by Marcus Aurelius. It's called the Inner Citadel. For those of you who don't know what a citadel is, it's a fortress. And in the old days, uh, you know, a king or a prince would go off to a citadel by the coast and they'd map up battle plans to get ready to go out and, you know, do battle with whoever. And this is about protecting your peace. Marcus Aurelius, after a certain point, believed that you shouldn't have to go to the coast. You shouldn't have to go to the castle. That wherever you are, you should be able to go inward. To just go inward. And carve out a place of your heart, a place of your mind that is unassailable. And be still from that place and find your truth and find your peace and go. I was recently talking with one of my homegirls and she was like, I really need a vacation. I got to get out of here from my job and whoop whoop. And it wasn't until I got off the phone with her that I was like, she needs to know about the inner citadel. Save those vacation hours. Go inward. You can hang. Times are crazy. And like I said, I don't even know what the war is going to be like when this runs. Maybe it'll be way worse. Maybe it'll be over. Maybe someone will have caught Putin slipping and he gets clapped. But what if he does and the people that follow him are worse than him? This happens sometimes in war. This happens. I don't know if Putin is as crazy as they say. Hopefully he's not. But the thing is, is that a lot of our parents, you know, my parents, I'm 52, Vietnam era, you know, before that, you got what, World War II, World War I, Korean War, all that stuff. 
tragically, this is part of what we do as a species. I'm talking about men. You know, I wish we were better. I wish we were better. But this is a time to be brave. And all of us have a brave soul within us. All of us, you know? So I want you to seek that cultivation because you can. Take time to study and meditate and eat healthy because you can. Turn off the phones and try not going through binge watching whatever you love and rest and be within yourself and study who you are, refine how you live. If you put your focus there, you don't have to be taken by fear. You don't have to be consumed by the anxiety and the depression that can come in when you're always listening to the news, when you're always watching these things in your feed. You know, you need to curate your feeds. I really got really serious about this the last couple months maybe like a year ago but really the last few months like you know if all you're getting in your feed is rap beef and people getting knocked out and homeless folks fighting at a walmart or whatever man you need to you need to change what you watch homie if all you're getting through your feed is wartime clips and you remember this movie i never watched it back in the day it was called faces of death like snuff films you know that's not cool, man. Take that out of your feed. What could you what could you replace that with? Could you replace that with some financial literacy videos? Could you replace that with philosophy? Could you replace that with meditation? Could you replace that with videos that deal with the exercise that you know you need? Could you replace that with quick and easy, healthy diet things? Not even vegan or vegetarian, just healthy. Just healthy. Come on, man. You can do this. You know, these are uncertain times for so many different reasons, but we don't have to be consumed by them. We don't have to be ruled by them. And we don't have to give in to them. So... There's this guy named Atar. He's one of my favorite writers ever. And uh, he, wrote, he wrote this story called Balul, the Fool of God. And Balul was a, a homeless man who was very disheveled, very dirty. No one liked him. Kids would throw stones at him and teenagers would beat him up. And people wouldn't even sell him things when he tried to buy them because he was so outwardly filthy and unclean. And uh, a salesman who had seen him in a previous city was speaking with another businessman and he said, he has always been treated like a madman just because he is not understood. This was a man who at some point in his life, just fell in love with God and let go of everything else in the world. And so sometimes, you know, he suffered socially. 
think of all the homeless people that you see in whatever city you live in, especially live in the Bay, right? You know, you know what Balul looks like. You've driven past him. You've seen him on the train. So one day he had taken an especially bad beating and he decided he was going to leave for, for Basra, a nearby city that had a reputation for hospitality. He was bruised and bloody and scratched, but he limped the distance to Basra. When he got there, the gates of the city were closed because it was past midnight. And he kind of went around the perimeter and he couldn't really find a way in. And he came across a man sleeping next to the wall, wrapped in a blanket. So he was like, shoot, if I just lay down here, I can use this dude to kind of shield myself and I'll be good. So he laid down and he went to sleep, grateful that somebody with blankets, you know, was around. So when he woke up, he looked at his tattered clothes and realized he had blood all over him. That was a body that had been murdered of a man who was left on the outside of the gates. And as the city began to open up and wake up, they see him. The soldiers grab him and they're like, Yo, what happened? He's like, yo, I just got here. I was sleeping. I didn't know. And they were like, do you know anybody in the city that can testify to your character? And he said, I have only one friend in the whole world. And that is God, Balul exclaimed. And all the soldiers laughed at him. He was taken to jail. He said he was innocent. But he looked crazy, so he was... He was to be hanged. Now was that. The next morning a crowd had gathered in the central square of the city to get the best positions for viewing this eventful punishment. The execution platform, which had been built the night before, stood ready for its victim. It was a quiet, still morning. In the distance, one could still hear the sound of the blacksmith's hammer pounding on hot iron. It was just before sunrise when the execution crew brought Balul to the square. The jailer began to give a speech, noting, of course, that crime does not pay and that wrongdoers always get their just punishment at the hand of God's representatives on earth. Then he went on to, to praise the current caliph and all of the formalities. And then he gave the signal to the executioner to start the proceedings. As the command of the execution came to the jailer, Balul spoke up and asked if he could be granted one last request, a prayer for his soul. The jailer agreed, and an eerie silence fell upon the square. The sun had just begun to rise, and with its rays falling upon him, Balul seemed perfectly calm. Raising his head toward the sun, he stared at the horizon and whispered something slowly. Then he looked out at the crowd, smiled at them, and without even acknowledging the jailer, made a gesture to the executioner, signaling 
that he was ready. The executioner wrapped the noose tightly around Balul's thin neck. Seconds after he had pulled the rope tight, securing it, a loud scream interrupted the proceedings. Stop, stop, please, for the sake of the Almighty, don't do it. The crowd parted and a man, clearly distraught, approached the stage. You are making a terrible mistake. This man is innocent, he cried. The jailer lifted his hand up to stop the executioner and ordered the guards to bring the man forward. The man fell to his knees and confessed. I am the one you are looking for. I am the murderer, not this wretched man. He refused to say anything further, except in the presence of the Hakim, the main ruler around there. This was just as well because the jailer had no idea what to do next. Balul and the newcomer were both taken to the Hakim, bowing to him. The jailer recounted the whole story, briefly asking for his decision. The Hakim, who was considered a just and fair ruler, questioned the two accused men about the truth of the event. Balul remained silent, but the other man spoke freely. I'm a butcher, your honor. Until two days ago, I lived with honesty and I tried to help people in any way I could. Then a friend of mine visited me at my small shop down the alley from the city square. Before I knew it, we had gotten into an argument. Because of a certain comment he made about me, I flew into a rage and attacked him with the knife that I had been using to cut meat. When I had finally calmed down, I saw that I had cut his throat. I was panic-stricken at what I had done and the thought of what was going to happen to me. Without even being aware of what I was doing, I wrapped him in a blanket, took his body out through the city gates, and placed it by one of the city walls. As the man fell silent, the Hakim went into deep thought. He looked majestic in his blue and gold robe, gold turban, and matching sandals. As he played with his thick, dark beard, he moved his heavy weight on the big day bed on which he leaned against many colorful satin pillows. After a few minutes, he glanced up from the tapestry of his expensive Persian rug and asked, What made you change your mind and confess your crime? Fear your majesty. When the executioner started to pull the rope around this man's neck, I suddenly had a vision. I was falling into a dragon's mouth. It was a misery a thousand times worse than being hanged and going to hell itself. For the beast told me that if I did not speak up at that very moment, he was going to take me with him. I could feel the heat coming from his mouth and see his ugly, rotting teeth dripping saliva like a volcano's boiling lava. When the man finished, the Hakim glanced over at Balul and nodded to him. If this man is the murderer, then who are you? And what was your role in all of this? Where do you come from and how do you happen to be beside this victim's body that night? This is so, so deep. He said, my name is Balul. I'm a traveler and I have no specific occupation. I do whatever God determines for me to get by and earn the bread I eat. He then told how he had come to sleep next to the corpse. Upon hearing Balul's account, the Hakim stood and said, my judgment is that the butcher must be hanged as soon as possible for the murder he has committed. As for Balul being entirely blameless, he is welcome to stay at my court as long as he desires as a compensation for the difficult times he had had to endure through no fault of his own. But your honor, Balul interrupted, 
The Almighty is nothing but love. He loves those who forgive and those who love others. He is the kindest of the kind and loves those who treat his creation with loving kindness. Therefore, it would be a divine act for you to set this man free, forgive him of his guilt, for he has already confessed and regrets his crime. The judge remained silent for a moment and then spoke. My friend, is it not true that the Almighty has appointed us, his representatives here on earth, to prevent harm from coming to others and to carry out his will? This is true, but perhaps we do not always know exactly what that will is. He alone knows all the hearts and can discern the guilty and the innocent. To God, one who is in our eyes a murderer may be innocent and dear, and a righteous person may be a wrongdoer. God is the most knowledgeable. The Hakim could not hide his smile of admiration. I feel speechless before your words. Since killing this man could not bring back a murdered one, and since he has come forward and admitted his guilt with remorse, I give my consent to his freedom under the condition that the family of the victim agree upon a sum of money that the man must pay as a compensation according to the law. When all was well and done, the ruler and Balul were finally alone. The two of them took a walk in, Hakim, in the Hakim's garden they were quiet for a long time. Then the Hakim broke the silence by asking this question that had been bothering him for quite a while. If you can trust me, then tell me something, my friend. I have heard that you were exceedingly calm at the time of the execution. What gave you such assurance that you were not going to be killed? My calmness, Balul replied, gazing directly into the Hakim's eyes, was not due to the assurance that I would not be hanged. Rather... I was sure that the outcome would be whatever the Almighty determined was for the best, and that it had to be. Thus, I surrendered to his will with total contentment. This, in turn, was what brought peace to me, creating such tranquility and calmness. Although he had gotten his answer, the Hakim was still intrigued by the strange man, and he wanted to know more. Tell me, my friend, what was your last prayer? before the rope was wrapped around your neck. I am told that no one could make it out. I was not praying in the sense that you mean it. For one who trusts God knows that the creator of all things knows well what he is doing. It is not for us to ask him to alter the course of events that he has ordained. For a lover of God, whatever happens is best. Here, Balul paused for a second, stroked his beard, and then went on. Actually, what I was doing was talking to my Lord. I told him that he knew quite well that I loved him and that nothing he did would change my love for him unless he so willed it. If he so chose to send me a bitter poison, I would nevertheless take it as sweet sugar and a cherished gift. Balul seemed to momentarily forget where he was, for he suddenly began to address God as if he were back on the scaffold. O oh Lord, I am innocent and about to die for a crime that I have not committed. Yet, I am not sad, angry, or bitter with you. You know who the killer and the killed are. You also know why things have happened the way they have. It was you who directed me to leave Baghdad and come to Basra. 
I now realize it was you alone who led me to sleep besides the corpse. It was you who left me there for the soldiers to discover us. Therefore, do what you will with me, since you and only you are behind all this. Balul stopped abruptly at this point, as if awakening from a dream, remembering where he was, he politely apologized to the Hakim. The Hakim, who was fascinated by Balul's state, brushed aside the apology and asked impatiently, But you're not bitter at all? You do not want an explanation for all that has happened? Balul started laughing upon hearing this and went on for a long time. Dear Hakim, he finally managed to say, stifling his mirth. God is Lord. He does whatever he pleases for whatever reason he sees fit. Who are we to question his actions or express an opinion about his decisions? It is enough for me to love him. I need no explanations. That story came from Tales from the Land of the Sufis on Shambhala Press. On the Stoic Path, you know, you don't need to be a person of faith. You can be an agnostic or you can be an atheist or you can be someone of deep faith and still be a Stoic. And you'll often hear Stoics refer to the fates, right? Just what happens and being at peace with it because that's the way it was supposed to happen. And that is the most terrifying and most freeing thing at the same time for me and most of us. Sometimes you'll find on the stoic path that the thing that scares you the most, that idea will usually be the one to free you and bring you the most peace. Thank you for sharing your time with me today. Please share this episode or another episode you like with at least two people. And thank you for your follows and your likes and the growing group of those that, 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 that listen to Bishop Chronicles. I appreciate you deeply. And um, I hope you have a fantastic week. I hope you can take a step today to conquer your fears. And feel free to message me and discuss any of this on my page, on TikTok, or on Instagram. And with that, I've already talked too much. Peace. Holla at a scholar. I'll see you soon.